Good morning, everybody. So good to hear everyone uh, singing, actually. Uh, it's really good that we sing those truths. Even the song where we're singing, you know, come to the altar, it's pretty cool because we're all inviting each other to come and taste and see, like, the goodness of God, uh, which is why it's so, like, profoundly important that we're here and we lend our voices uh, to each other. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, a few other things before we dive into today's passage that I'm really excited about. Uh, one is I just want to echo for uh, anyone who wasn't here right at 10, uh, something Sarah said. Uh, the Union in Christ stuff is being made new. That's really cool, too. But the thing uh, that I have in my notes to talk about is uh, we are building this team of people uh, to help set up and tear down and create a space for people to come and just do what we just did and worship and hear the scriptures and all of that. Uh, and so we need uh, people to sign up and, and do that. Uh, we have like three people right now, which is pretty awesome woo. because last week there were zero people. Yeah, woo, let's celebrate. Uh, some people have decided to be the few and the proud, and, or the few and the humble probably is more likely. Um, so if you're really interested in doing that, it's committing to do it once a month, and uh, we'll have times where you can reevaluate. It's not once a month for eternity. Uh, it's, it's just a once a month commitment for a while. Uh, so come talk to me or Trip or, or anyone else you think might know uh, how, to, how to get you signed up to do that. So uh, this morning, uh, we are going to be talking about the transfiguration. Uh, it's a big, multiple-layered word right there. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, uh, and I want to I read it for us uh, because I think that uh, in February, we're going to talk more about the vision of our church, the direction, and all of those things. But uh, this passage is so in line with like, what we want to be as a people, uh, which I think probably sounds odd on the surface of it. It's like, isn't this that weird story where God is blazing white? And it's like, yeah, that's what we want for this year. <laughs> so Mark chapter 9, verse 2, it says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love, listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they, were, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written 
about them. It's quite the passage. Uh, the first eight chapters of Mark, uh, Mark's trying to show us who Jesus really is. This big question hangs over it is, what's the identity or the nature of this person, Jesus? What, what is he? Who is he? And there's all these stories that we talked about all through the fall, and it kind of culminates with the very end of chapter 8, where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter uh, says and confesses the truth about what every story about Jesus points to, which is he is the Messiah, uh, the anointed king, the Christ, the one who is to come, who's been promised, who's going to crush evil and sin and death itself. The, the Messiah is the one who's going to come and suffer and give himself to make everything new, making the whole world exactly what it was supposed to be. And, and Peter just sort of humbly says, that's who you are. It's a pretty awesome moment. And then Mark does something that he's never done in any of the other parts of his book. Every other part of his book, something big happens and then it's followed by immediately this. Or next, they went here. And then this happened, right? Do you remember that? I know you guys are all reading Mark every day. Yeah. This one is the, the, the strangest story of all because right here in the very middle of his book, he says... After six days, Nothing, like G, Peter confesses, Jesus, this is who you are. You're the king of the world that's come to save the world. And then there's silence for six days. Nothing, it seems, happens, or at least nothing happens that Mark wants to tell us about. There is no immediately after. And then Jesus takes a few of his disciples, and they go up to this mountain by themselves, and there, standing before them, is Jesus in just full glory. Jesus in, as the transcendent glory of God. Uh, Peter, James, and John see what like, philosophers and theologians and writers uh, through, for centuries have been trying to describe that, that Jesus is fully a human and yet fully like the glory and the presence of God simultaneously. They saw with their eyes Jesus as that, like blazing in white. Uh, it's what Paul describes, the, the invisible glory of God becoming visible in Jesus. And they're there on this mountaintop and they see Jesus that way. Glory, other, different, so uh, unique. I think uh, we often just forget who Jesus is, right? Like, um, when I was growing up, there were t-shirts that said, Jesus is my homeboy, uh, as if he is just like a, a, a cute person to be part of our posse. No, Jesus is the very nature, the very glory of God. He is the I am that spoke to Moses in the thundering mountaintop when, when God wrote with his hand the way to live and the commandments to live by. Like Jesus is Yahweh that's throughout the whole Old Testament, the, the very one who comes and whispers to Elijah on a mountaintop. He's that one. He's, Jesus is God who hovers over the wild and wastelands and speaks and forms creation into existence. Jesus is the one who comes to humanity and forms it in his image. Jesus is God. 
It's really good, right? <laughs> yeah, it's good information to know. Uh, even, even children know that. Like uh, People who don't believe or aren't Christians at all, well, they can let us know, like, well, Christians believe, you know, Jesus, Jesus is God. Uh, I probably should have worn my shirt that says that. And there Jesus is, the Son of God. And he's talking with his old friends, Moses and Elijah. And then a big cloud surrounds them. It's like, uh, just like the times of old. All these great moments with all these prophets, all of the God's people throughout history have seen this cloud and this voice coming from the cloud on top of a mountain. Peter, you know, offers to build some houses. There's more on that later. But within this cloud, the voice of God speaks, and and he says, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. It appears as though there's this big, glorious moment where Jesus intentionally takes these three disciples up to see and experience this thing. And what the Father says is, This is my Son. I love him and listen to him. I, you know, it's something like that's the command. Like from this whole passage, the command is listen to Jesus. I think it's weird because it's not, you know, this big, huge moment. Like, the Father could have said anything to them, right? And they, sh- they would do it, right? Like, cloud, blazing white, you couldn't bleach anything as white as that. Like, that's voice from a cloud. He could have said, so live well. Or do everything right. Or be missional, right? Or tell people about him. Or, hey, you should worship Jesus. He's the son that I love. But instead, the the big command, the big like point of it is you should listen to Jesus. He's the one that I love. He is my son. Or perhaps because in listening, uh, we do all the other things well, right? You know, if we listen to Jesus, we'll do all of all of life really well. Perhaps because um, that's the, the, just the place to start. You know, like listen to Jesus. You know, the beginning of Mark starts with Jesus sort of arriving and proclaiming good news. You know, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Perhaps, though, I think listening to Jesus is the way we follow Jesus. Uh, Listening to Jesus is the process of becoming new. And uh, honestly, as a church, I want to be careful. I want to say something strong, but not theologically incorrect. The future of our church is sure and found. Like, we are God's people, right? The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Like, we are going to stand there and all of the things that we just saw and see the glory of God and the restoration of humanity, that's not up for grabs. But what I would say is um, the future of of us as a people and how we operate and how we live really hinges on our willingness and our ability and our resolve, even our, our commitment to listen to Jesus first above all other things.
That's what the future of our church is going to be. Uh, Do we listen to him? Do we make our whole lives about listening to him? As the work of being the church. So there it is, the transfiguration. It took me like five minutes. Jesus is God, glorious. The Father likes Jesus. It's pretty good. The Trinity thing is operating well. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. And they exist in this perfect unity of giving of themselves. And then the punchline, let's listen. You know? I think uh, that's a great lesson. That is the future of our church. But we have a hard time doing that most basic of commands. In fact, I think uh, if the command was give more money, that's actually an easier thing to do. Give more money. Uh, Show up more often. Uh, Be brave and tell other people about Jesus. I think all of those things are easier for us to do than this thing of listening to Jesus. I think we're uh, often frustrated, often self-sufficient. You know, all of those other commands would be good. We could just muster up the energy to do it, muster up the love. I think we're often uh, alone or isolated. We often really want to. We want to try. Uh, We think maybe, though, if we haven't listened well in the past, and so God has stopped speaking. Maybe if we could just, you know, figure it out, make good resolutions, wake up on time, then we could be the kind of people that listen to Jesus. I think what's encouraging to me about this passage is the people that the old friends that Jesus is talking to. Uh, this, this Moses guy and this Elijah. I think their stories actually paint a picture of what it means for us to be people, complicated people, who want to but don't uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and so I want to look at their stories because I think it'll, it'll teach us uh, the way of listening to Jesus. First, there's, there's Moses. Moses is, you know, a big chunk of the Bible is dedicated to him and all these wonderful things that God does through him. You know, his life starts with, like, the providence of floating on a basket so he's not killed. Like a child of promise, right? Uh, Moses spends some time in the desert because he murdered someone. Even as a murderer, uh, God, through this burning bush, speaks and Moses listens. I mean, Moses listens to a, to a bush talking. <laughs> Mirala thought that was funny. <laughs> Moses listens all through the, through the way of seeing the people of Israel liberated from captivity and slavery and taken uh, into freedom. There's incredible moments where the people are terrified and they're, they're at uh, this big... Uh, cliffhanger uh, with the, the ocean in front of them, and he says, let's wait on God. And then the sea split open, and he walks across it, and all the people do, and then it swallows up 
their captive, captors. It's an incredible moment. Jesus listens, or Moses listens to God all through this journey through the desert. God says, hey, hit this rock, make water come out of it. Moses does it. Moses climbs up to the mountain for all of these days just listening to God and, and receiving the commands of God. Quite a thing, you know, like, this is the way to live. And there's Moses just there with the, with the rocks, ready to, like, receive it. You know, he famously would go into this tent, and the tent of meeting. I mean, we should all pitch one of those tents somewhere. You know, like, this is where I meet with God. It's this tent. And he came out, and he's glowing so much, he had to put a veil on because it weirded people out. Like, wow, Moses, like this person that listened to God. In fact, he famously told God at one intersection, he said, if you don't go with me, then I refuse to go. Like Moses was actually one of the, the great uh, negotiators with God. You know, I, I think about that with work, you know. Like, I'm willing to work again another year, but you've got to give me a raise. Moses says, I'm willing to go, but only if you come with me. Someone who's so new. I, I have to, the whole work of being a prophet and a leader of God's people is listening to the voice of God. Great leader. He's the standard. In fact, at the, the very end of his life, you can read in Deuteronomy, it says, Israel never knew another prophet like Moses. No one else ever came like that, did those kinds of mighty deeds. There was no one else like Moses. But the people he led, like the people around him, uh, were terrible. They were hard people who complained all the time. They were constantly disgruntled. You know, he, he stood there, he battled Pharaoh, the like, most powerful person uh, in the known world, and when they finally got liberated through all of the things that I just described, the people said, man, we had it way better <laughs> when Pharaoh was leading us and killing uh, most of us. That was better than you leading us here in the desert where water comes from rocks and food comes from the sky. <laughs> they were those kinds of people, complaining, whining. They were fixated on themselves always. They only had eyes for what was right in front of them, and if it wasn't perfect and it wasn't exactly correct, they sent it back. You know, like, no, we don't want this. You know, this food is a little too cold. This food is a little too old. We had to wait a day. You know, we had to eat the same food two days in a row. It's not fresh manna, it's old manna. This is the people that he was leading. Year after year. They worshipped silly things. Like they took all of the gold that they, they knew where it came from, they melted it down, and then they worshipped that gold. Like idiots. And those were the people that Moses had. Those were the people that he was sacrificing. He gave his whole adult life to listening to God and caring for these people. Constantly disgruntled. Or biblically, they were grumbling. And I know that you guys know what that's like. Uh, one way or another. That constant, I mean, if you're a parent, you definitely know. Uh, if you're a spouse, you also know. If you're a child, you know. 
If you work anywhere in this world, you know. If you're a teacher, if you're an employee, if you're a boss, you know. If you've ever tried, which most of us here have, to be in a community of Christians that follow God, you know what these people are like. You've seen them, right? They've been in your life. They're probably in your life now. You're probably one of those people. (laughs) And so Moses, this great prophet, he gets frustrated. He gets angry. He gathers the people together. This is in Numbers chapter 20. You can read about it later. It's pretty great. He gathers these people together, uh, which, you know, usually he gathered them together to say, this is what God said, or hey, this is where we're going now. He gathers them together, and he just, like, lays into them. You rebellious people. You wasted generation. What, you want me to bring water from the ground? And he grabs his staff, and he hits a rock, and water comes out, and they drink. He performed this big thing to shut up the people. God goes to him, and he says, you didn't trust me. Moses doesn't listen to the grumbling of the people and go away and say, God, what do we do with these people? The same people Moses pleaded with that they would live, he now performs for to appease the needs of those around him. Out of anger, out of frustration, I think what's beautiful about these characters is how they're so complicated. There's not just like one thing. I wonder if one of the reasons we don't listen to God, listen to Jesus, is because we believe we have to fix the people around us by doing some really big thing to show them, to show the people around us, to to let them know. Instead of depending on God and trusting God to do that work, we say, hey, I'll do this work. Early in the story, Moses had asked God what to do when the people were thirsty. And God had said, go to this rock, strike it, and water will come out. And he did it. But now it appears that he feels like he's learned some God things. He knows what to do. Maybe that's you too. I've learned some God things. I know how to talk to people. I know how to say in a really kind way, thanks for sharing, right? We all know how to do that. But Moses, his fault was he didn't rely on God. Just decided to operate in anger, operate in proving or doing something thinking that if he could do that thing with the water, and if he laid into them enough, they would be transformed. I think we don't listen to Jesus when we're trying to accomplish things on our own, even real good things, like feeding the hungry, or caring for our children, loving our friends, being a good neighbor, And often we don't listen to Jesus when we do things out of impulse and frustration. That's not the the end of the story, though, for Moses. 
And I was in the middle of it, and the end of his life, he's still been told, like, there's never been a prophet like Moses. God continues to talk to him. Even the way Moses dies as he goes up on this hill, that, that, that God leads him up on top of this mountain, and he sits there, and God is with him, even speaking to him, as he watches his people go into the promised land. No prophet has risen like, in Israel like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face. Next, there's Elijah. Elijah was also a prophet. He's probably number two in the line. You know, Moses, number one of all time. Uh, it's real tight, though. You know, it's like Michael Jordan, LeBron. Uh, I know that's a debate that all of you guys understand. Quick side note, Lakers won in 2000. Lakers won in 2010. It's 2020. We're on fire. We're going to win. And I hope that by that, when that happens, that we as a church will both know that that happened and be excited about it. That'll be a good sign that we as a church care about the city. I am like 90% serious. But Elijah was pretty great. The people of Israel uh, went into this deep, rebellion, corruption. They abused one another in all the ways that you can abuse a person. They hated one another. They, they dove straight into vanity and all of the stuff. Like The whole thing that a bad society does, Israel was doing that. And Elijah spoke on behalf of God, and a drought came. It was like just turned off the spigot for their whole society. Elijah uh, went into the desert. Ravens came and fed him. True story. Pretty awesome. They just brought him food. The ravens are good for something. He pleaded with a child who had died to come back to life. The child of a widow. And God raised that boy. And then on, the, on Mount Carmel, Elijah goes up and does this really big uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, versus the other pagan gods contest. And the pagan gods, they had to, you know, take this sacrifice and see if their gods would burn it up and consume it. And they didn't, you know, because, you know, Elijah's making this really big point, like, your gods aren't real. And then Elijah does the same thing, but douses it with water a ton of times says a few words and it's consumed instantly. The people celebrate. They're like, we will worship God now. The queen uh, finds out that all of her priests were put to shame and to death and commits to killing Elijah. All of that just happened. The very next thing that Elijah does, he finds out that someone's out to hunt him. He doesn't Think about the fact that like ravens had fed him. He raised someone from the dead. Uh, he caused a drought to happen like just by speaking the words of God. No, Elijah just runs out into the middle of nowhere, sits underneath a little uh, a bush tree, a broom tree, and wallows there, afraid and alone. God comes to him, cares for him, He says in 1 Kings 19.4, he says, I have had enough. It's pretty awesome. Uh, 
I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. I don't know what he thought was going to happen, but I know what I would have thought would have happened. I would have thought, I'm going to do this big thing for God. Things are going to go well, and people are going to recognize that, and I'm going to be pretty great. Or maybe at least I'll be proven to be better than those before me. I think he knows that I would have also been very afraid and would have felt alone. He says, I'm not better than my ancestors. I think sometimes we don't listen to Jesus because we're really trying to prove ourselves as being better than others. Of being more. But now he's weary, and he's the only one left. And he knows he's going to die. He even goes on to say in uh, 1 Kings 19, 14, he says, I've been very zealous for you. I've been passionate for you, God. I've been gung-ho. You know, like, I signed up for the setup team. (laughs) But now I'm afraid, and now I'm alone. God comes to him and tells him to go up into the mountain. There's a big earthquake, and there's thunder, and there's clouds. God's voice isn't in any of it. And then God comes in a whisper. After all the noise, God comes to him in a whisper. You know what he says? He says, get up. He says, what are you doing here? Pretty amazing thing to hear from God. But then he tells him to get up and go back. Elijah wanted to die, self-loathing, feels so alone, feels like, what's the point? I'm not better than other people. And God says, what are you doing here? And he pursues him. And then there's, uh, then there's Peter. Peter is, you know, the disciple that we can relate to often. It's not that far back. It's only 2,000 years ago, this guy. You know, Peter was one of the people that Jesus came to and said, drop your stuff and follow me, and that's what Peter did. He listened to Jesus and said, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do whatever you say. Uh, Peter's one of the people that, you know, presumably was like, I don't know, we don't have enough food to feed these people. And Jesus said, go see what you do have. And he was one of those people. Walked, watched Jesus walk on water, you know, like all of those things. And then he gets invited to go up on top of this hill. And then just crazy stuff happens, right? Blazing glory, all of the things. And and here's what he says. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. This is so good. Man, I'm glad I'm here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. I think it's like one of the, it's a really sweet thing that he says. 
because he doesn't even think about where he's going to sleep. His impulse becomes, let's stay here forever. Like, I see you as you are. I want to be right here forever. Let's just, let's just all hang out like this till the end of time. Peter's not even a builder of houses, you know. Uh, he's like me, not like Tripp. <laughs> I'm also not a fisherman, so there you go. Uh, that's not even something he does, but he wants to build a house to stay there forever. Then there's this parentheses statement that we get. He didn't know what to say. He was so frightened. I think it's amazing that he mustered up being able to say that. This is good for us to be here. I think just like what an example for us. An incredible example. Fear at seeing God for who he really is and then a desire to stay close at the same time. Like what he will write in his letter, 1 Peter, just summarizing, the transcendent hope becoming close, intimate hope. And he said, let's stay here forever. He was delighted, even as he was unsure of how to respond. Man, that we would be like that, right? That we would be people that say, I want to stay here forever. I think Peter is kind of one of the first people that, that truly understands the longing for eternity that is to come. Of, of I want to be there when all things are restored and where God just dwells with his people with all the saints past and all of the saints presence that we would just be with God and we would see him and we would gather around and we would just say, worthy is Jesus. And he says, I want, I want that. It terrifies me. Let's, let's do that for the rest of time. I think he really is doing the aim of what we've been talking about throughout this series. There's this quote by Barbara King Solver. She's a novelist who, who wrote, you know, the very least you can do in life is know what you hope for. And the very most that you can do in life is live inside that hope. Not admire it from a distance, but live underneath its roof. Peter is, is doing it. He's saying, let's just live this way forever. And then the father comes and he says, this is my son, I love him, listen to him. Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone else until I rise from the dead. And then they say, what does that mean? <laughs> rise from the dead. And then Jesus says, the son of man, I'm going to suffer a bunch and be rejected. But when I rise from the dead, you tell anyone you want to about what just happened. Throughout all of these stories, Jesus is speaking and pursuing. I think, as I said in the beginning, we think that if we don't listen just right, or if we stop listening for a while, or if we don't respond correctly, that Jesus will stop talking. And here's the really good news. He's not like us at all. Because that's how, I mean, that's how we are. I mean, I, if people don't listen to me, I'm just like, whatever. I'm not talking to you anymore. 
If you don't respond and do what I say, then it's like, fine, you know. But God is so different than us. It's proven through this long history of him talking with his people. And he's inviting us to listen. And now this is super important, and this is where we are now. Um, Hopefully there's been this question driving you from, I don't know, deep inside your belly or something like that. But like, what will we hear if we listen to Jesus? It's actually a question I want us to think about right now and give some of your best guesses, even if you're frightened and you're unsure of what to say. What do you think we will hear if we listen to Jesus? What do you think? Yeah, we'll hear, we'll hear him say, this is who you are. Yeah. I love you, child. I love you, child. Yeah. Yeah. We'll hear about what we need and what's more valuable than what we want as opposed to what we want. Yeah, we'll hear him say, this is what you really need. And this is what you should want. What else do you think we'll hear? I thought Brielle was raising her hand. She's not. <laughs> uh, we'll hear about um, you know, our, the sinfulness that we have neglected in ourselves because often we get so fixated on exposing uh, one certain sin in ourselves and in society that we completely forget about the sin that the other aspects of sin that we are committing hmm. Yeah, we'll hear him say, like, like, actually reveal to us, this is like the sin in your own life. Yeah. We'll hear who he is. We'll hear, yeah. We'll hear him say, this is who I am. Yeah. What do you... Yeah, we'll hear him say, rest, relax, rely on me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we'll hear the words of Scripture. We'll hear them like in our own hearts and our souls. We'll be like uh, John the Baptist who like leaps within uh, Elizabeth's womb saying, there's Jesus. I think we spend our entire lives um, wanting to hear these three words. This is something a good author, Jackie Hill Perry, said recently. We spend our entire lives wanting to hear these three words and wanting to believe these words and wanting to wear them like a garment. I love you. It's what we long for, for our whole lives. It's what we want to actually believe is true. Jesus goes the way of being the actual Messiah. Peter's not wrong. And Jesus isn't wrong. The Son of Man suffers. Jesus exchanges the glory of heaven, the glory of transfiguration, to become a a person on a cross. He gives his life and his glory, his righteousness, his, his perfection, 
And he exchanges it so that these three words can be spoken over you and that you could believe it and you could wear it and it could be who you are. These words are, you are my child, I love you, listen to me. And that is the good news about your life. Jesus has given his life to raise your life. And not just raise it for some empty thing, but to raise it so that you would be his child, you would be his son, you'd be his daughter, and that you would know that he is super pleased in you. That he is in love with you. That is the good news about your life. He's given his full self so that you would know and experience and taste and even be an owner of the love of God. Even when you're angry, like Moses, even when you're discouraged, like Elijah, even when you don't know what to do, like Peter, Jesus is walking towards you, saying, listen to me. And what he's going to say to you is, I love you. So let's, as a church, be people that listen. Because it is the beginning of all the other things. You know, I'm, I'm personally, like, I'm tired of trying to, to do the mission of God without listening to God and hear him say those things to me. I'm tired of trying to love the people in my community without listening to Jesus. So I just even encourage you, as super practically, like, how could you carve out space to hear the voice of God in your own life? And to be in quiet and to be in stillness. I'm not talking like 36 hours or anything like that. I'm talking like 10 minutes. You know, I've gotten in this habit because I have to take our dog outside to get its energy out of, of each morning walking around our outdoor garden, which is awesome, and drinking coffee and having nothing on me other than like listening to God. I just invite you to find whatever it is, whether it's, you know, on your skateboard, on your bike, uh, at your desk at work, if you're like that cool, like wherever, whatever moment it is, because this is the work and the labor of your life is to listen to him. So let's be filled with rest and courage and confidence in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to listen to you now. I pray for this space to be a place where we can listen to the truth, that we, listen, that we would hear your word spoken as we sing to one another and sing to you, uh, that we would hear your voice as we take and eat uh, communion. Help us to be a people that hear you. And thank you for the unbelievable grace that we do not have to earn your voice. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking. Amen.